Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, hosted by Dave Jenkins. The Equipping You in Grace podcast is a podcast about helping Christians develop a biblical worldview in a conversational tone about issues inside and outside the church. Now, for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. Welcome back to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this podcast. And with me today is my friend, Guy Waters. Guy, welcome back to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. Dave, thank you for having me. It's great to be with you. It's, it's been great to catch up with you, brother. I appreciate you and all that you're doing. Uh, can you uh, just catch us up on what's been happening in your life, marriage, ministry, and any ministry products that you're working on? Well, I'm privileged to serve at Reformed Theological Seminary in Jackson, Mississippi, and we're wrapping up our fall semester. And by God's grace, we've been able uh, to meet in person through the term. It's it's been different from any other. I'm sure many others could say the same. But we're we're grateful all the same that we've been able to, to keep on with our work. And I I will be stepping out of the classroom in a few weeks uh, because the the board has graciously given me a sabbatical for the next eight nine months. And so that helps me to burrow into writing projects and uh, catch up on uh, other uh, course related. T- teaching-related matters, so I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it. My, my eyes are bigger than my stomach, but hopefully we'll be able to um, get get a good good showing come come August of next year. That'd be great, brother. I look forward to seeing what, what you are able to produce through that time. I, I know you're looking forward to that, so that's great. Yes. Can you uh, tell us about this latest book of yours, uh, For the Mouth of the Lord Has Spoken, The Doctrine of Scripture, why you wrote it, and how you hope it'll be received, please? Yeah, so... Uh, this this book uh, is, as you uh, rightly said, it's a, a book on the doctrine of Scripture. And the short answer as to why I wrote it is that I was conscripted. Uh, the editors, John Fesco and Matt Barrett, approached me and said, we, we'd like you to write for this series. It's the Reformed Exegetical and Doctrinal Series, uh, Impress of Christian Focus. I've got a lot of uh, respect for John and Matthew. At the time, John was many miles away, and now John is about five minutes away. Uh, He's, he's come to join me on faculty here in Jackson. So it's been great to, to renew and uh, keep that friendship uh, kindled. And that has been, I tell you, a great stimulus to completing the book. When your editor is about 25 feet from your office door, it's a constant reminder that <laughs> deadlines are deadlines. Um, so uh, they were very gracious with me. I, I worked a, a, a while on this project and uh, was able in, in the last year uh, to, to bring it to a completion and um, they were very kind in uh, editing it and seeing it through to, to press. And what this book is, it's um, designed to be a really a mid-level, uh, almost a textbook-like treatment of the doctrine of Scripture, uh, wanting to set the doctrine of Scripture on its biblical foundations, uh, wanting to see how the doctrine of Scripture has come to expression in the great confessions of the church, and as it's been articulated by some of the great theologians and pastors, 
members of the church, and especially to think about how the doctrine of Scripture works itself out in a host of issues related to church life and the Christian life, and then to think about some of the contemporary challenges that come to the doctrine of Scripture. Um, Like any doctrine of Scripture, there have always been challenges, and every generation is called to to think about them, to return to the Scripture, and uh, think clearly about what God has revealed about his own word. Yeah, that's really good. I I think this is a really good and important book. Um, I mean, like you were saying when we were just talking talking about it before, you know, every generation needs good books defending the Bible, and and you've done that in in this work, so that's to be commended. And I mean, when when uh, when Doctor Barrett or or Doctor Fesco come to you and ask you, "Hey, can you write this?" You're like, uh, "How long does I have to be, and how long do I have?" Right? So uh, it's a, I, I I agree. I, I respect them a great deal as well. So it's awesome. So why is it so important that we have a good understanding of the doctrine of Revelation? Well, everything really begins with Revelation. Uh, when we, we speak of Revelation, we're talking about God's self-disclosure. We wouldn't know anything about God unless he revealed it to us. And so if we don't get Revelation correct, then everything downstream is is going to be affected uh, negatively. So coming into Revelation, we think about Revelation along really two lines. Uh, one is, is what is sometimes called general revelation or natural revelation. It's the revelation God makes of himself in the created order. The heavens declare the glory of God, and we see on constant display his goodness, his wisdom, his power. And then, of course, there is also what we call special revelation. Uh, that is God's self-revelation inscripturated, and that, of course, is the Bible. And there we have God revealing himself most fully, uh, and there are a number of differences between natural and special revelation, but they are fundamentally complementary. Uh, each does its own work, each serves its own purpose in uh, God's plan. So we we want to keep in, in view the, the different types of revelation, how, how they're similar, how they're different, and how each uh, serves the broader purpose of God making himself known to human beings. That's, that's a really good answer. Uh, for those unfamiliar, what exactly is verbal plenary inspiration? Good question. Uh, that is a mouthful. <laughs> inspiration is, is a word that uh, really comes out of the Bible itself. If, if your listeners are familiar with the King James, they'll know from 2 Timothy 3.16 that all scripture is inspired. Now, more recent translations like the ESV render that word God-breathed, and, and that's re- they're really getting at the same idea. Uh, and Paul uses a word there in the Greek that's, that's not used anywhere else in the New Testament, and God-breathed is a very good way to get it out. Um, God-breathed means that God has, as it were, breathed out the contents of Scripture. They're, they're the, the distillate of his breath. And that's what we mean when we speak of inspired. We don't mean inspiring, like a, a sunset or a sonata. Uh, we don't mean that God found a book and said, this is pretty good stuff. I think I can use it. And and so he, he does something to it. So we're not talking about something that happens to me when I read the Bible. We're not talking about something that God did to an existing book. We're saying that God made the Bible to be what it is, the very Word of God. And the words verbal and plenary help bring out what's in view there. So plenary 
binary, full, means that when we say Scripture is God-breathed, we mean Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, all of it. And the historical parts, the parts that, that touch on science, the poetic parts, the parables, the prophecy, letters, everything in between. Verbal means that inspiration extends down to the very words of Scripture. And we're not simply saying that the thoughts of Scripture are inspired. We're saying that the very words of Scripture are inspired. And think of the way, for instance, that Jesus or the apostles, when they quote the Old Testament, they hinge their argument on a single word of the Bible. And that's one testimony to the fact that the very words of Scripture are are breathed out by God. So when we speak of Scripture as inspired, that helps us to see that this is a fully divine book. Now, it is a book that God has given us through human authors, but the Holy Spirit has superintended that writing process from start to finish to ensure that what came from the pen of those writers is the very Word of God. So it it is fully human in that authors have written it. It is fully divine in that every word is God's Word. Brilliant answer, brother. Well, very well said. Very well said. For those unfamiliar, what what does the term inerrancy mean? Mm -hmm. Well, inerrancy is is really a follow-on from inspiration. So if, if the Bible is the Word of God, and if God is truth, which means that God cannot lie, he cannot deceive, he cannot be mistaken, uh, he is not susceptible to ignorance, then it follows that the Bible shares those qualities. And so the Bible is not, uh, has no errors. It is uh, incapable of deceiving or misleading or making a mistake of ignorance. It is inerrant, meaning it is without error. And so it is absolutely true, as God is absolutely true. So if the Bible is God's word, then the Bible is going to reflect its author. Just as when you write a book, your words reflect you as its author, mm-hmm. in the same way God's words reflect him as an author. So it follows, uh, certainly, that the Bible is without error. Yeah, that's that's really, really well said. You know, the, the character of God is tied, you know, another way to say that is what you're saying is that the character of God himself is tied to his word. So God can't lie. You know, I think that's in Titus. Yeah, Titus one. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Um, you know, so he can't he can't change, can't lie. So his word is is without error. Amen. So we can so we can trust it. You know, and this kind of leads into the next question: How should Christians respond to the idea that the Bible is full of errors? Hmm. Well, that's a great question, and that's I think something that most Christians are going to confront. You know, how can you believe a book that's filled with all of those errors? And maybe a good way to start that conversation is: Well, can can you show me something that you think is an error. And I think as Christians, we go into that discussion knowing that the Bible is true. We also remember that that God has called us to read the Bible, to study the Bible. Uh, We recognize that that there are things, as Peter says of Paul's letters, that, that are difficult to understand. Just as in the book of nature, the world, scientists will tell you there are some really hard things to understand in this world. And that our best in brightest uh, struggle generation after generation to to interpret them. Well, how much more the Bible? There, there are going to be things that are difficult, but there aren't going to be proven errors. And I think that's the important word is, is proven errors. No one has demonstrated that there is any mistake 
in Scripture. And very often what is alleged to be an error really stems from faulty interpretation. Um, Scripture is not being read properly against another Scripture. Or someone is drawing an inference that just doesn't follow. Or someone says that this statement in Scripture contradicts some fact of history or science. But when you look more closely, either there's, there's no real contradiction between those two, or what's said to be a fact of history or science really isn't a a fact of history or science. It may not be true at all. So there there are lots of avenues that we can go. There are all sorts of alleged errors and inconsistencies, but no one has yet to prove a necessary error or inconsistency. And and that's the critical thing. So as a a Christian facing these these sorts of claims, I am not bound and beholden to have to to prove to anyone and everyone's satisfaction um, that that their argument is um, uh, faulty or groundless. All I have to do is to say, look, um, what you're saying about this passage doesn't necessarily follow. There are many other ways that we could interpret this passage or relate this passage to other facts. So you have not demonstrated that there's an error. I I don't have to go and do some sort of sweeping uh, demonstration. I just have to show that what you have said is not necessary uh, in terms of demonstrating an error from Scripture. And I think that's going to help us as as we think through the many challenges that come our way. Yeah, there's two things that you're saying. First, that the Bible can be understood. Um, we don't have to, so we don't have to ignore the hard things of the Bible. In fact, we should run to them. We should understand them in light of the whole Bible. And the second is, is that um, the second and the more important thing is that we don't need to be afraid of questions um, because we have good answers to those. So, you know, a lot of people are just leaving. I've seen this in out, coming out of high school now I've been out of high school 20 years now uh, people just leave and like in my age group I'm going to be 40 here in February people just leave the church because they're like they're not given this kind of answers to their questions and so they think that the church doesn't have any good answers and it's like actually what you're showing is that we have good answers uh, and the Bible is able to be understood like you just said so well you know show me in the text where that is let's let's or let's even just open the text and let's just talk about con- what do we, how do we understand context and and the meaning of the text and, and even behind that why like we're talking about we just talked about verbal plenary inspiration and inerrancy um, you know those ideas are rooted in the text as we already have demonstrated and, and so it follows then that God is able to be trusted and since he's able to be trusted he's we're, we're able to by the grace of God through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit obey him and all those things and so um, I would just say to somebody that I would agree with you and just say, hey, dig in and and learn. This It's an issue of interpretation. It's an issue of how you, uh, what is interpretation? It's a matter of how you understand the the, te- the Bible itself. So That's right. And you, you bring out a good point, Dave, a really important point is that God commands us to read the scripture, to meditate on the scripture, really to, to ply the brains that he's given us as we go through his word. So God expects us to put in some hard work as we study his word. And if if these objections come and they trouble us, then that should stimulate us to go to the Bible, to think about these matters, to use all of the resources and helps that, that God and his providence has raised up over the centuries, and do so with the confidence that this is God's word. And so I know there there is no error here. And even if I'm not able to come up with a complete solution, 
conclusion, I can find enough to be satisfied and settled that God's word is true. And it's true in this instance. Yeah. And, and I think it's a, a, bears, a bears saying that to, to somebody out there, you might even have a seminary degree. A lot of our listeners do. Um, but even if you have a seminary degree or you don't, I, I don't really, that doesn't really bear on being able to tell somebody, I don't know the answer to this question. And then you can go, but then you say, look, I don't know the answer to this, but I'm going to go study it. And can we meet here in like a couple days or a week and uh, get an answer to your question? Um, because there are, well, there are good answers. What we're saying is that there are good answers to all these questions. You know, the Bible isn't silent um, about the character of God, about the will of God, about uh, the personal work of Jesus. Uh, you know, we, we only know so much about the end times, right? We can only go so far on that subject, uh, um, but, um, or the, or the Trinity or all these things, but there are answers where you can get a basic answer and know the, the basics of all of these things from the Bible. That's right. And you, you think about the fact that God has not called us to read the Bible in isolation. We're part of the community of saints. He's given us pastors and teachers, and we have generations of pastors and teachers who've gone before us and have left us published writings to help us think about these things. And those are all provisions of the Spirit to help the church understand the Bible better. They're, they're, they're not infallible, of course. They're not the Word of God, but they are helps for us better to study the Word. And so I think it's a mark of humility to say when an objection first comes, you know, I, I don't think I've got all the answers in me right now, but I know that there are answers, and so I'm going to go work hard to try and find them and to, to invite that friend to come back and have a follow-up conversation in a week and, and talk these through these, these things again. Yeah, I think it bears, you know, just saying it out loud here, you know, um, John John Calvin and Martin Luther, they had to study the early church fathers. And um, we have to study, you know, not only the reformers, but the early church fathers and even modern theologians um, to see how they responded to these issues. And so, you know, we're not against history as Christians. Uh, you know, our first commitment, we would say, you and I would say, is to scripture itself. And secondarily, we would say that we go to those sources to gather uh, insight and understanding, you know, as from the best sources like Calvin and Luther and um, those types of guys uh, to to help us to, you know, know the answers uh, from the scriptures. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. Well, brother, what does the sufficiency of scripture mean? Hmm. So su- sufficiency um, simply says that uh, the Bible is uh, sufficient in two areas, uh, faith and obedience. So we have everything that we need to believe and obey God, to glorify him, to be saved in the pages of the 66 books of scripture. We don't need and we ought not go outside scripture to define those matters, areas like um, church history or tradition or popes or councils or a little bit closer to home, um, revelations, prophecies, dreams, visions. Those are all things throughout the history of the church and in today's church that people appeal to, to say, God has said. What the sufficiency of Scripture says is, no, everything that that God has revealed is going to be found in that book. And so you don't go outside that book to to trust Him, to walk with Him, to know what you need to believe and obey for your salvation and for His glory. Yeah, I think one of the most uh, neglected aspects of the sufficiency of Scripture, and I see this as as an editor, I I see it as 
I want to be careful that how I say this too. Um, I see we want to talk more, a lot of writer, Christian writers want to talk more about their experience of God. So they want to focus on their testimony. And, you know, we never want to discourage somebody from sharing their testimony or anything like that, or, you know, with their, their experience with God. I, I would, I would, I would not discourage that. But the one thing that I wish that we would do, and I think it relates to this particular subject is, is that make sure that if you're, when you're writing an article, that what you're saying is grounded in the text. So whether you're putting that in parentheses or you're interacting in some way with the scripture, just so that you're not undermining the uh, sufficiency of scripture for our faith and our practice, that, that would be my, my, um, you know, maybe that's nitpicky. I don't know. Uh, But I, I just, I would just rather people be explicit about that. So your thoughts. That's a good point, Dave. And, you know, scripture is all, you know, tells us experience is important, but experience always has to be brought to the touchstone of scripture. And we can get off the rails and in real danger when experience becomes a kind of authority, because inevitably experience gets elevated over scripture and experience always has to stand in submission to scripture. So as you say, any any testimony that we make should should bring us right back to what God has said in his word. Yeah, that's great. Well, brother, how, why does the sufficiency of Scripture matter for the Christian life and ministry? Well, I think it, it really comes down to the question of authority. If someone comes to you and says, I have a word from God, you need to quit your job and you need to move two states over and do something else, how are you going to respond to that? Now, that's an extreme example, of course, but things like that have happened. And I think that the biblical response is, I have to to weigh that against what God has revealed in Scripture. And I don't have a command in Scripture that says, I need to quit my particular job, move two states away, and so on. Um, God has given me the tools to work through those kinds of issues, thinking about what job shall I take, whom shall I marry, where shall I live, and so on. But he he doesn't call us to look to those outside alleged uh, sources of authority and revelation. Uh, we we always go back to the scripture. And if if we want to know, how does God want me to live? I always go back to the Bible, not the authority of a church or uh, a very influential leader or my own inclinations. I go back to the Bible. And this becomes important in the church. I think it's a profound check on spiritual abuse because mm-hmm. leaders who, who understand this will submit themselves to scripture and will never step beyond the bounds of Scripture, and that protects the Christian liberty, freedom of everyone within the church from leaders stepping out of bounds uh, and binding the consciences of those under them. So I I think this is a really important matter for church life. It's a really important matter as individual Christians, as we think about our day-to-day decisions. Where do I go for direction? Who, Who has the right to tell me what to think and what to do and why? That's really what the sufficiency of Scripture is addressing. Yeah that that is uh, that is such that is so well that is so well said because you know like you were just talking about the will of God. So many Christians are like, 
I'm going to stress about moving. And uh, I mean, should you get some, but we need to come back and say, you know, Proverbs says in the abundance of counselors, there's wisdom. So is it wise for you to move? I mean, you know, that's a matter for the pastors and elders and you and God to decide, you know, if, if that's where he's leading and, and what are the circumstances and, you know, just, just a, using one example or, you know, who you should marry. I would include other people in that kind of decision as well. Um, your church family, your pastors, your elders, um, they should be, they better be involved in that situation, right? Uh, um, you know, I mean, we could go on and on, but but we shouldn't, um, we shouldn't, like you're saying, we shouldn't uh, stress out about it. You know, we, we get so uptight and we hold our clenched fists and we just have to, you know, we do have, we do have freedom, but we're not supposed, like Paul says in Galatians 5, we don't have freedom to do whatever we want to do. You know, we haven't been set free to do what we want to do. We've been set free to have life in the spirit. And so what does the spirit want us to do? Well, Jesus tells us in, um, and what is it in John 16, you know, that the spirit will point us to the truth. What, what is the truth? We've been talking about it. It's scripture. So, you know, God's never going to lead us outside as we've been saying outside of scripture. So that relates to a whole lot of things about these kinds of questions. And, you know, you can relax and in some way you can relax about the decisions, even the major decisions and not be so, you know, anxious about them. You know, if you're getting counsel about, you know, your house, uh, selling it, moving it, um, you know, and, you know, God uses, speaks through not only his word, but he uses his word, uh, plants it in people's hearts and he speaks through his people in, in that way through from the word. Um, and so we, and we need that, right? We need the one anothering of, of God's people. And so that could be a confirmation for us that uh, God is indeed leading us to go. And, um, you know, it's hard to go. And I've been there, done that now a couple times and I'm about to do it again. And uh, it's not, it's not easy, but, um, you know, if we, we have scripture and we have freedom to, to go if God is, is leading us. And so we, we need to be using that freedom in a, in a God honoring way, as you said. That's right. And I mean, just as you were, were pointing out, um, we, we go to the scripture as as our touchstone. That's our only rule of faith and obedience. And what scripture guides us to do is, is we make these life decisions, and, and you mentioned the Proverbs, is to, to glean wisdom, seek counsel, uh, look at ourselves, our circumstances, and, and make decisions that are wise. And we, particularly in the New Testament, um, in the Old Testament as well, you, you're not going to find a verse that says, now, Dave, on this date, you need to move to this city and, and start working here. Uh, God doesn't direct us that way. Um, and that's that's part of what it means to be a Christian, is that we, we have to take the principles of Scripture, we have to study our circumstances, glean counsel, and then make application and uh, trust that, that uh, these decisions are not infallible. Uh, there, there's plenty of room for course correction, but, but we trust that we're doing what's pleasing to God and we're seeking the help of the Spirit. And um, we, we walk in faith. And as you say, we, we don't get stressed about it because we know we're, we're doing it the way God wants us to do it. Amen. How does, a, how does a good understanding of the canon of Scripture help Christians? Well, I think when we, when we talk about the canon of Scripture, we're really asking the question, how do we know that the 
39 books of the Old Testament and the 27 books of the New Testament are the books that God wanted us to have? And that's a question that's been long discussed and debated. And uh, about 15 years ago, of course, uh, came under uh, renewed attention with with the Da Vinci Code and Dan Brown's novels and so on. Um, May make for, for good cinema. I wouldn't know. I haven't seen it, but it was popular. But it's not good theology. And um, the, the reality is it, it raises the question, how do we know that these are the books that God wants us to have? And we, we want to say in the first place, and this is probably the most important thing, it's not that a group of bearded old white men got together and decided 1,600 years ago, okay, church, that's going to be your Bible. It's not how it worked. Rather, the process was was not one of a, of a top-down imposition, but remember what we said at the beginning, these books are the Word of God from the very moment they are penned. So no one can add any authority to them. You can't, I can't, no, no council, no church can. They have authority in themselves. So the question of canon is a question of recognizing the authority of those books. And so we study church history and the way that the church over time came to recognize these books to be what they really are, the Word of God. And and that took time. This is the day, these are days before social media, instant communication. Uh, and what you find is, for that time period, a, a remarkable, early, widespread consensus as to which books uh, were recognized as part of the Word of God. And remember, there, there were books that were in circulation that people were pushing to be part of the Word of God, and the church said, no, they, they don't bear the marks of the Word of God. And, and so they were rightly set to the side. That all took a little bit of time. But in, in the space of, of three centuries or so, you get this marvelous consensus across the church as, as to what the contours of the Bible are. So that means as Christians today, we can have utmost confidence that the books in our Bible are the books that God intended to be there. We're not missing out on something, and there's not something in that book that God didn't mean to be there. That's well said. Well, very well said. What is the clarity of Scripture, brother? So clarity you know, refers just to that. The older word is perspicuity, but it's not particularly clear. So we use clarity. And we we want to be clear about what clarity is and is not. Um, what we're saying about the clarity of Scripture is that what Scripture was written to teach, it was written to teach sinners preeminently about the way to salvation. That's why God gave this book, uh, a holy God showing sinners the way we can be reconciled to him in Jesus Christ. And the clarity of Scripture says that that teaching is clear, clearly revealed in some part of Scripture or another, and that any reader, you don't have to be formally educated, degreed, or credentialed, any reader using the helps that God has given us, like pastors and teachers and uh, all the Bible study helps we've been talking about, can come to a, a clear understanding of what has been clearly made known in Scripture. It is not obscure, and and historically, the Roman Catholic Church has said that the teaching of Scripture on those chief points is obscure. It has to be something that you need the Church, Holy Mother Church, to tell you what Scripture means. And the Protestants said, no, as to the Gospel, the Scripture is clear. And they, they recognize that doesn't mean that every reader is going to understand 
understand every single statement of the scripture with, with equal fullness. That's not what clarity means. But as to the main things, readers using those helps are going to be able to get the, the main point of scripture. Amen, brother. Amen. How should Christians respond to the views of Peter Enns? Well, Peter Enns has been writing um, for a number of years as very uh, capable fellow academically. He, he taught at Westminster Seminary. He's um, mo- moved out of Westminster uh, teaching elsewhere these days. Uh, his, his field is Old Testament, and he is taking up, grappling with uh, questions that are important questions that we face when we come to the Old Testament. Uh, unfortunately, his, his answers to those questions about the Old Testament relating uh, to the, the relationship between the Old Testament and uh, books from the ancient Near Eastern world. Um, as, as he has worked through those, he has come to understand the humanity of Scripture to be effectively uh, a mirror of the ancient Near Eastern world. And so for all intents and purposes, uh, to speak of the Bible as God's Word in the way that we have been speaking of is lost. And so the, the Bible becomes very much a reflection of the culture, the environment, the prejudices of the peoples, the nations within which uh, it was produced. Now, um, Pete Enns will go on to say that it's it's not a mere reflection, that God was doing something in it to to reveal himself, but we are dealing effectively with, with a book that's embedded in its original culture. And I, I think to uh, take that approach to the humanity of Scripture um, effectively um, denies that the Bible is the Word of God in the way that Christians have classically confessed the Bible to be the Word of God. And to be sure, God was raising up human authors. They lived in that culture. They were speaking to that culture. But this is God's Word. And so we we can't say that Jonah or Genesis or Exodus is uh, a mirror of, of the surrounding culture or mores of, of ancient Israel. Yeah, yeah, you can't you can't say that it's essentially you can't essentially neuter the Old Testament is what you're saying and and that it's a book of fairy tales and myths you know because of what we said earlier about you know responding to the to the accusation that the Bible is full of errors we believe that it's true so the onus of proof is on that person and they can't prove that so you know therefore we reject their claim yes we 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 can't go down the road of um, introducing the category of, of myth even in his qualified a way as as ends tries to do, um, because that's simply not what God has given us in the Old Testament. Um, what God has given us in the Old Testament is His Word, and what is being described is uh, what has transpired in history, the, the way that God has spoken to and dealt with human beings in history, and that's true from Genesis 1 all the way into the end. Amen. And it's, it's critical that we hold on to that, not least because that's the way Jesus and the apostles understood the Old Testament. And um, if Jesus and the apostles understand the Old Testament that way, I want to be on their side. (laughs) Me too, brother. Me too. Me too. 
What what has made Carl's Barth understanding of Scripture so influential? Well, it's it's been interesting. Carl Barth, and, and your readers may not know of him, but he was a profoundly influential theologian, modern theologian in the 20th century, and he's had something of a renaissance. Uh, maybe not quite what it was 20 years ago, but he, he's still very much a force to be reckoned with. He um, claimed a home in the Reformed tradition. He was was German Swiss and he reacted very strongly against German liberalism of the 19th century and and really had some profound insights about the failings of liberalism in the 19th century. But he proposed what came to be known as neo-Orthodoxy, which really was something different from a restatement of the Orthodox doctrine of Scripture. And so what Barth does is he refuses to make an identity the way you and I would identify revelation, scripture, the word of God. And he argues that uh, the Bible, a human document, can become the word of God when it is preached uh, as as God encounters human beings. And for Bart, that preserved the sovereignty of God and elevated his word. But the problem is, is that you really don't escape the, the old problem handed down to us from the liberals, that the Bible is a human book. It it is not a a production of God himself, such that we can call it the very word of God. And in the end, when you you come back to the New Testament and the Old Testament, that's what it claims to be. It claims to be the very word of God. Well said, brother. Well, well said. Well, where can people go to find out more about your work online, either on social media or otherwise? Well, uh, through uh, RTS's website, rts.edu, we we keep faculty pages that are uh, updated uh, on a routine basis. Uh, there are uh, links to articles that appear on the web, uh, interviews, podcasts, and so on. So that's a good place to go. Um, that'd be the first place I'd recommend. Great, great. Well, you know, Guy, there's a lot that we could dive into about this subject. We, we've only, <laughs> you know, kind of hit the service. Just as we wrap up, though, do you have any, any takeaways for our listeners? Well, I think that you, you can't underestimate how important it is to have a, a clear understanding of what the Bible is. And the, the time to be clear on what the Bible is, is, is not when you're in the throes of crisis. It's well before then, because that's part of the armament. That's a critical part of the armament God has given us. And when providence does bring those trials and temptations, that's not the time to be figuring out what the Bible is. That's the time to hold on to the Bible for the, the resource, the shield, uh, the, the weapon that it is. And so that's what my great encouragement to your readers, there, there have been a lot of good works put out on what scripture is on many levels. And so for just their own spiritual well-being, uh, uh, take the time to, to see what God has said about his word and you won't regret it. Amen. I agree, brother. Well, Guy, I so appreciate your time and your ministry and uh, all that you've all that we've talked about here today. It's a, it's a great blessing to be able to, to interview you and pray Christ's richest blessings on you, brother. Well, thank you for having me. It's, it's an honor to be with you, Dave. Really appreciate it. Thank you, brother. Thank you for listening to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate us on the app, 
and share this with your friends and family on social media. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Servants of Grace, on Instagram at Servants of Grace, or by searching at Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this episode and many others like it on the front page of our website, servantsofgrace.org.